Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Stop leaning on agencies and bring marketing in-house sooner. That's the one thing I brought in in-house marketing for most of my companies this year. And I was like, why didn't I do this five years ago? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Vikram Raya. Vikram is joining us from Fairfax, Virginia. He is the CEO and co-founder of Viking Capital, a multifamily investment firm. He is also the CEO and founder of Limitless MD, which helps top-level doctors make more passive and active income while pursuing their passions. He's a founder of Vitology Institute, which empowers functional medicine practitioners to provide proactive, predictive, personalized treatment, and encourages patients to take an active role in their own health. Vikram's portfolio consists of over $700 million of assets under management across 23 states. Vikram, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Ash, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Vikram, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up not in the real estate profession. I grew up the typical South Asian gunning for being a doctor and trying to really serve people. And it was interesting. Once you get your goals, you realize there's more to it than that. And I hit my goal of becoming a cardiologist. It was something I always wanted to do. I had family members who had heart problems, but I realized it's not as what it cracked up to be. I noticed people were working really long hours. I wasn't able to live all the things I wanted to do with my free time. And I was looking for more and I sort of stumbled into real estate. I thought this was a really good side hustle. It ended up becoming a main hustle for me down the road. And now I've been able to sort of partner my love of medicine, my love of real estate, my love of entrepreneurship into this thing where I'm coaching people all over the country. I love doing real estate and I'm still very, so passionate about health and wellness and human optimization. Are you still a practicing cardiologist? I'm still a cardiologist, but I don't see patients on a day-to-day -day basis any longer. Okay. When you started this side hustle, what was it for? Because I'm sure you made a lot of money, 
I'm sure you had no free time. So what was the driving factor? I just thought that I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. And it's probably not how most doctors think, but I was just like, look, it's great. I'm doing this thing. I'm really enjoying it, but it wouldn't be great to have income coming outside of medicine. And wouldn't it be great to have income that I don't have to work for? So the whole Kiyosaki trilogy and everything that led to that, the real estate investment clubs, learning to play cash flow, secretly telling my wife I was still at the hospital, but going to real estate clubs and meetings and meetups, and then buying my first $26,000 home in 2013, but being so fearful of that investment, <laughs> you know, that, that was the origins of it all. While you're probably working 50, 60 hours a week, right? Yes. Putting in crazy amount of energy, crazy amount of time working full time as a physician was already busy enough. I had a young family. My wife is also a physician. This is not the detour I was supposed to take. And one of the times I went to listen, they didn't have meetups back then. There was no bigger pockets back then. We had none of that. We had these RIAs, real estate investment associations, which were local real estate investors all meeting up to talk about real estate. And I would literally, after a full day of work, I would sneak away, go do one of those meetings and then come back home late at like eight or nine o'clock. My wife would be really not happy with me. And on one of those meetings, a guy from Boston came and started talking about this thing called syndications and multifamily and how you could raise capital and buy big deals and get paid for it. I was like, first of all, it sounded sketchy. Number two, it sounded illegal. Number three, I didn't think it could work for me. But that little spark of idea eventually took hold where I realized buying the single family home and me and my father ended up getting up a small portfolio, about 20 homes, but it didn't really change my money because I would buy one home and then refinance the money out and go to the next one. So there's essentially no equity in any of these things and the cash flow is limited. So I had on paper 30 properties, but I didn't feel rich at all. So I was looking for a better way. And that's what led me to multifamily. And at some point you found your passion for real estate because you wouldn't be doing it this long if you weren't truly passionate about what you're doing. Now, was it the time freedom or the financial benefits that drove you more? I would say it was time. Learning to unlock more hours of my day was super important to me. I realized at some point the money would come to all of us if you just stay in any profession long enough. But I noticed there's a lot of unhappy millionaires out there. And there are really a lot of pissed off doctors in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And also medicine, people are just sort of jaded and disgruntled. So I wanted to practice medicine for the love of the game. So I know a lot of people who are listening, they have some solid high income jobs, but they're just looking for that additional freedom, that flexibility, that optionality, if you will. And that's what I think real estate provides all of us. My wife's a physician and a lot of her close friends are docs and they have no financial literacy whatsoever. What was your financial education up until this point? It was very bad. <laughs> I studied a lot to become a doctor. You go to school for almost 25 years, 30 years to become a physician in any specialty. And there's very little time for anything else. Nowadays, some of that's changed. I really think in the last five years, financial education for engineers, for dentists, for doctors has improved, but really we're not meant to stray and to look anywhere else. And in fact, when I was training, I was telling my colleagues and my mentors in my professions, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing this outside of medicine. They're like, you have one job, one job only, be a doctor. Otherwise you're not going to be a good one. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's the 
advice I was given, but my heart and my in- intuition was suggesting something else. Vikram, when you speak with other docs, what's the biggest mindset hurdle they have to overcome? I don't know what your background, Ash, is. What did you used to do before all of yeah, this? Yeah, so I'm Indian, raised by very, very strict Indian parents, was kind of forced into a path of going down IT, had a 15-year career that I really didn't like, found real estate by accident over 10 years ago, and truly found my passion. I think that's it. I think it's, you've been given an identity, right? You're an IT professional, IT specialist. I was a cardiologist. That's our identity. So even now, a lot of doctors are like, oh, that's who I am. How can I do something else? Just because your profession is your profession doesn't mean it's your identity. And I think I've come to this terms of where you go from a limited caged identity to this expansive identity. You're a father. I am of two kids. Father, you're married, you're a real estate investor, you're an IT professional, you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you have passions, you have hobbies. It's and, 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 and. And my old way of thinking was this or this, this or that. And it's changing those ors to ands is really what changed my life. And when I coach all these entrepreneurs or physicians everywhere, it's that changing that don't let their identity or their profession cage them, but use it as a stepping stone to add more identities as they expand to who they really are. And life is not meant to be in some nice clean box. I think with the advent of artificial intelligence, with the advent of people learning new skill sets and jobs not being as static and as truncated as they were back in the olden day, we're going to be wearing nine different careers in our lifetime. So we need to be nimble, flexible, adaptable, and have this expensive identity. Speaking of identity, when you go out to dinner and meet somebody new and they ask, what do you do? What kind of answer do you give them? <laughs> I was struggling with that for many years. But some of the answers is, hey, I do a lot of things. What do you do? And then I try to get into more about what's important to them. I also say, if I don't want to go into all the whole backstory, I just say, yeah, I'm a cardiologist, I'm a doctor. But now I'm thinking I was trained as a cardiologist and now I own a portfolio of companies. So <laughs> I like that. That's a good yeah. answer. Yeah. So you do a lot of coaching. When you have a young physician that's working 60 hours a week, new family, a lot to take in, how do you convince them to invest in real estate? First things first, when I meet a person, whether they're an investor in my company, Viking Capital, whether they want to learn just how to create more wealth and more free time in my company, Limitless MD, or they want to get healthier, whatever they want to do, I just need to understand their goals and I need to get clarity on what their vision is. Once I understand that, that it's just reverse engineering the path to get them there. So many times I just need to understand what is it that it's important to them. We know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's this sort of triangle shaped diagram. Many people have seen where it's safety, security, income, joy, happiness, and eventually self-actualization, or they hit what they're meant to do in life. So we all have our own little hierarchy of needs. So many people don't know what they are. They're thinking for at least most professions like dentists, IT professionals, doctors, lawyers, at first you go to school, then you go to grad school, then you get your first job and then you get your second job then you get promoted and then you hit something. But at some point, the path doesn't become so clearly defined and people don't realize they have to define their own path. But once they do do that, then there's ways to achieve whatever they want to do. And the second thing is they take advice from people who haven't achieved what they want, the naysayers, if you will. So I tell that doctor who's starting out and starting his career and has a lot of things going on, look, get 
clarity. And number two, get education. It's not the investment that's risky, right? It's the investor. So by them getting that financial literacy, as you mentioned, Ash, and then by them learning all these options of what's there and then figuring out what is going to get me to that goal and then them starting to take the first steps and taking action, that's what's going to help them get to where they want to go. Vikram, how have your goals changed over time? Because initially you want to live that baller lifestyle, have a lot of money coming in. You wanted the time freedom and you've achieved all of that. So how have your goals evolved? Joe Fairless, the guy who started this whole podcast, he was a friend, he was a colleague, a sort of a mentor at times. And then there's so many people like that out there. And so I'm looking at different people. First, it was like, there's a guy named Dr. Mark Hyman, who is an amazing physician who's changing how we practice medicine, where we're trying to treat the root cause of those things. And so I was like, oh, I love some of those things. Tony Robbins, man, he's a coach, he's a mentor, he's a financial guru, he's like a health and wellness expert. I'm like, oh, I like a little bit of that. And then people like Pierre Demandis, who's a futurist, Elon Musk. And so I'm looking to all these different people and I'm like, I take a little bit of this, take a little bit of this, but then you can't just emulate someone else's life. You have to live your own authentic life. So I was like, what is it that Vikram Rai is about? And look, I've been beat up. I've been put to the ringer. I've lost money. I've made mistakes. And it's through all of that, I found what is it that I'm really here to do and what is it I'm about? And I think I'm really about what my podcast is about. So my podcast is called Limitless MD, Freedom, Wealth, and Human Optimization. I want the five freedoms, which for me are financial freedom, time freedom, health and wellness, which I call vitality freedom, a mindset freedom, and geographic freedom to be able to work from anywhere in the world and just not being tied down. The second thing I want is to live a meaningful life, really help make a dent in the universe in whatever category that I'm pursuing. And for me, it's helping people unlock whatever this hidden potential is and just explode, live that 10x version of their life. And the third thing is I really think I want to take my health to that next level and biohack and human optimize and also help others along the way who are interested in that. So that's sort of where I've taken my entrepreneurship, my real estate, the self-development work I've done and just poured into myself and others. In roughly eight years, you've got over $700 million of AUM. How did that happen? It happened because we made mistakes. We got burned. We chose bad partners, but we took steps. The way I think about it is I'm a frog and I'm jumping on the lily pad. And I sort of know what the 10th lily pad looks like, but sort of don't. But I just know what the next one in front of me looks like. And I keep jumping and hoping that the lily pad doesn't sink. <laughs> and so, you're playing Frogger. There's cars yeah, and buses. playing Frogger, the really. And you have mentors. You have people who maybe done something similar. So you can learn from them a little bit. You learn sort of best practices, how to run your day, how to run your health, how to run your meetings, how to run your relationships, how to run your teams. And you get specialized knowledge. And then you just take action. And then... A lot of times what you're doing is right. Sometimes it's wrong. You're just hoping that what's wrong is not enough to kill you or sink you. And you learn from them and then you just keep moving forward and forward. So that's really how we got there. We didn't think we're going to get to that number. We just thought, let's just buy our first property. How do we buy our second property? How do we fund our third one? Because I think we're tapped out. (laughs) But no, we've made a ton of mistakes along the way. Some of the worst I've made are choosing bad partners. I would say that was one of the Mistakes I still hold to this day. Any relationship I'm in, I vet that relationship. I make sure we're aligned, that it's collaborative. It's not competitive. 
we're complementary versus they're similar in what we bring to the table. So I think relationships is one of the biggest mistakes I've made. Number two is sometimes not thinking big enough. Number three is I didn't realize how powerful marketing is and advertising and learning to package and brand yourself. So I think that was important. Next is I was trying to do a lot of things simultaneously, and that was a mistake. I was like, okay, I can run a health and wellness clinic. I can still be a cardiologist. I can still run a real estate company, and I want to be a coach. That's a setup for failure. And I was stuck in this sort of mediocre level for a couple of years because of that. Look, I have multiple interests, but I'm going to make one of these my primary interest, and I'm going to go all out for that one thing. That's when I started exploding. And then this concept of elf and half, Ash. So it's like, what is easy, lucrative, and fun, and I enjoy doing? That's my elf. And I need to lean into that. And what's half? What is not my, my zone of genius? It's hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. Half, H-A-L-F. So I started noticing which things came easier to me. It was fun. I was making money and I enjoyed doing it. I leaned into those and I pushed the other ones to the back burner. And that's what really made a lot of the differences in things. But I think people just need to lean into what their zone of genius is. Because we have a lot of zone of excellences where we're good at a lot of things, but zone of genius is where we're untouchable. That's what you're meant to do. Yeah. Great advice. Best ever listeners. I want you to take what he said and try to apply it in your life, especially for those real estate entrepreneurs that are inundated because maybe they're a solo shop and they're doing it all, or maybe they're starting to build out their team. It's so important to do a time audit and figure out what you enjoy and what makes you money and offload the things that either you're not good at, things that you don't enjoy and things that don't make you a lot of money. So, so important. Vikram, let's go back to the old Vikram when you were sneaking out to real estate meetups and you had just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What was your mindset as you took down your first property? I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't know I could raise the capital for it. So my first property was in Atlanta. I had done a couple of co-GPs where me and my buddy, Ravi Gupta, we both founded Viking Capital, but really we were both physicians just doing this as a side gig. And we had raised money for three deals and we felt proud of ourselves. We thought we were cool, but we knew that to get in the game, we wanted to be owner operators. The people we partnered with, they promised us, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get you your own deal. But we had raised a good amount of money for them. They were sort of disincentivized to help us do our own because they wanted us to stay with them. So it was a risky move to let go of that because that was safe and that was comfortable and it was comfortable for them, comfortable for us. But we made the decision, let's just get into this and let's do this. And look, I've studied cardiology. I think I can figure this real estate thing out. And if not, at least it was a worthy pursuit. So what we happened was we got this 118 unit deal in Atlanta, South Atlanta, in a little bit of a C neighborhood. And we were runner ups on the deal and we're like, okay, maybe next time. And it took us two years of broker relationships with that one brokerage house for them to trust us enough to take us into this whole process and get us to where we almost won the deal. Group from New York won it. And then we're like, okay, whatever. We just move on. We're bummed, but it was okay. We get a phone call a week later saying there's a murder on the property. And then the group from New York backed out. They're like, this is too risky for us. We're out. And they asked us, do we want it? Otherwise, we're going to go back to the process and market the deal again. That's when me and my partner were like, we had a gut check. We're like, what are we doing? We're supposed to be in a hospital. I'm supposed to be putting a stent in people. Am I really going to take down a C-class deal in South Atlanta 
They just had a murder on the property. What the, <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> One of the things as a high income professional, you have analytical skills. So we use that. Okay. What's fact from fiction? So we talked to the police department. We looked at the statistical record. We looked at the crime record. We looked at the community. We looked at the path of progress. Is this a chronic thing or is this a one-off random thing? Is this something we can overcome? So we went through all of that analysis. And then at some point, we just took a leap of faith and said, you know what? I don't think this is a chronic thing. I think we can turn this around. And we just did it. And it ended up being one of our best deals ever. So we bought that deal. We bought the deal next door, which was a completely vacant 62 unit that was bringing our property down. And then we had to just get beg, borrow, and steal because it was completely vacant. So no one would give us a loan on it. And we ended up selling. We bought the whole thing. I guess if you could put all of it together for $8 million, we ended up selling for $13 million three years later. And so it was one of our best projects ever. I definitely lost some hair on that one, <laughs> but it was good. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you tired of spending hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life as a landlord or property owner with their free property management software. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is designed with simplicity in mind, focusing on the features that matter to you. From tenant screening and lease signing to rent collection and work order management, Inago has got you covered. They offer a seamless interface and dedicated support representatives to assist you in every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Inago. Plus, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card just for using Inago. Visit inago.com forward slash best ever to get started and reclaim your time and sanity that's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com forward slash best ever. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital dot the bamcompanies.com you mentioned hard lessons learned about partners what's your advice to people who are looking to form a partnership to form a partnership i would say learn about who you are what you're good at what your skills are and also consider using something called the disc score which i'm sure a lot of your other guests have talked about disc it's a personality score these are drivers decision makers or go-getters eyes are very eloquent. They're very congenial. They can speak to a lot of people. They're networkers. S's are very steadfast. I would put S and C's together as steadfast and conscientious. They're the data analyst people. They can underwrite. They're very good at details. So usually people fall into one of those three categories. So if you're one thing, try to get a partner with the other thing. It's a nice complementary skill set. The other thing is make sure your goals and visions are aligned. If you want to get to a billion dollars of assets and someone else wants to just buy one multifamily property and just chill out, it may not work. And then 
there's such thing as one, two, three, and many. No more than three partners. I've never seen a four partnership thing work ever. I've seen solopreneur with a ton of employees around them. I've seen a two partner relationship work amazing. Three can work as well, but then four falls apart. And then know your roles and things. There's a book called Rocket Fuel. Gino Wickman really talks about the visionary integrated relationship. But I've realized that now it's instead of one being over the other, it sometimes doesn't work like that. It's actually sort of their yin and yang, you know, that yin and yang Korean symbol, the black and white, white and black. It's more of that kind of relationship I found versus me over somebody and them underneath me or something. So I'm the CEO, my partner's the CEO, but really we'll sort of work hand in hand. It's almost like a co-CEO model. And I really think if people have that in mind, it's a really powerful way to move about it. And then when they partner on projects, let's say you need money for a deal or you need deal flow or you need something, be careful in that partnership. Make sure that you vet that person out, make sure they really understand what, and if you can retain operational control, meaning even if you bring in a partnership, when push comes to sub, you can say, hey, look, in the end, if there's a tie, I'm the tiebreaker, I can go forward. And so I think if you have some of those tenants in mind, you can have a successful relationship. What's a story of a bad partnership that you had and what were your lessons learned? So our third deal where we were doing it on our own, I think at that point, a $35 million deal, we didn't have the capability to take that down. So I was in a coaching program and the person teaching asset management seemed like a really nice person. So I'm like, oh, hey, why don't we partner and take down the deal together? Oh my, who better than the, the teacher who teaches asset management? And it was one of the worst decisions I ever made. Her and her husband came in. They tried to help us on this project and they brought in a, another person with whom we didn't know. So that's already a red flag when they bring in someone else you don't know. So it's those two groups and us. And no one group could make a decision, but two groups could outvote the third group. And that was where the problem lies. We were very fast. We're, we go in we're like a SWAT team. We want to renovate, move on and go quickly. They were wanted an analysis of paralysis. They want to analyze things. And it was just not a good fit. It was not a good team fit. And we ended up still making money on it, but not as much money as we could have. And overall, it was just a long, painful process. And I wish we had retained operational control. I wish we had vetted our partners out more. I'd rather have done a smaller deal just on ourselves than bring on a partner just to do a bigger deal. I think those bad partnership stories is what teaches you how to find good partners. Yes. And my advice also to the best ever listeners is it's always more fun doing things together. If you want to go far, go together, but you can try out partners deal by deal. I've done this in the past where I've gotten people that I thought were awesome partners and we established a company and everything we do from here on out, we're going to do together. And that was difficult. When that fails, you've got to unravel a lot of things. So try out your partners deal by deal. Yeah. And another story, again, you hear all these amazing people on Best Ever, but Ash was giving me some great advice. You can learn a lot from people's successes, but you can learn even more from their failures. So again, I was like, all right, I want to take our company to the next level. I want to be like a billion plus next year or this year. Like, How do I do it? Let me bring on this guy who's like an ace capital raiser. I'm like, okay. So we tested him out. It seemed great. And then we decided, hey, look, instead of us a two-man shop, let's make it a three-man shop and let's bring him in. And it was good for the first deal. He was amazing and it was great. But then after that, personalities clashed. It just started unraveling. And then it became a challenge on how to extricate the relationship. And that's when you realize sometimes if two works, keep it a two. And it's if it's a great relationship, that's fine. So 
if you don't have a bad partnership story, then perhaps you haven't done enough deals yet. But it's from all these different mistakes that now that's why I'm, I think I'm, I'm a decent coach. I'm able to share people what not to do. So like, look, guys, here's how I got to success. And here's the 13 to 15 to 19 to 35 mistakes I've made. Don't make these, make your own and make them small. And then we can get you to where you want to go. One of the reasons for doing this podcast is to inspire and educate a lot of our listeners. Now, what do you say to the people that are like, oh, look, he's a cardiologist. He's surrounded by high net worth people. It's easy for him to raise capital. Yeah, I thought so too. That's why I got into it, but I was wrong. <laughs> How so, so? I was wrong because for the my first raise, that was like official, official raise. We were doing our own deal. We had to raise 1.5 million and we ended up raising. It was great. But as you subsequently go, people that you know, I don't care who you are. I know Joe, his black book has worn out. That's why he has to find new investors. My black book has worn out. Anyone in my iPhone, I've already tapped into yet. So at some point, if you want to do more than four or five deals in a year, you're going to run out of capital. So you have to expand beyond that. So going from a 5063B to a 5063C syndication model and you start crowdfunding is an essential tool for the modern day syndicator. And learning how to package who you are, becoming a thought leader, that's why this podcast is important. Teaching people, giving value, educating, writing books, going to conferences, either mentoring or getting mentored. All of that is just foundational in this new modern capital raising society we have. Learning technologies, active campaign, MailChimp, HubSpot, learning to do Facebook ads, Twitter, whatever this new thread is. Are you already into that yet, Ash? Not yet. It's coming though. <laughs> I was like, let's not do it, man. And my team's like, sorry, man. So the triple thread is this, uh, Ash. It's TikTok, Twitter, and thread. So that's the new three T's that we're, yeah, it looks like we have to get into. But everyone makes fun of Grant Cardone. You may not like him. He may be brash, maybe braggadocio. You may not like his style, but you have to respect his impact. So he's made himself a brand and he's made himself a person that's omnipresent. He's on multi-channels and his personal brand, eventually the way he's doing it is essentially garners eyeballs. If you read Naval Ravikant's book, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which is highly recommended, please read it. Anyone here on the Best Ever podcast, read it a couple of times, but he talks about all the different levers that you can pull and of leverages you can have. And this initially it was labor, level one. Level two is capital, which we're all trying to be, get good at. But number three is really permissionless leverage, which is essentially media and code. So between artificial intelligence and media followers, that's how you can get your next level of leverage. So people like Grant Cardone, Gary Vee, all these different people out there who've learned to harness media, they can translate that into whatever things. There's a guy, Alex Hormozzi, whom a lot of people should be starting to follow if they haven't yet. These guys are amazing and they give value. They gain entertainment value, whatever, and they gain these eyeballs and then they leverage the eyeballs into whatever products or services or offerings that they're doing. Is it more important to promote and market Vikram Raya or Viking Capital? Initially, it was just Viking Capital, but I've noticed that because I have interest in so many other things and I have multiple companies now, I'm starting to promote Vikram Raya and I guide them. If they want a real estate, I get them to Viking. If they want more coaching, it's limitless. If they're on health and wellness, it's Vitology. So it was confusing. I didn't know how to go about this, but that's sort of how I've transitioned into it. 
for new syndicators, is it more important to advertise and market Joe Smith or XYZ Capital? It depends on where they have the most traction and leverage. If people know them personally, then it may not be a bad idea to really blow that up. But if they're doing a partnership with someone else as a two-man or three-man company or two-woman, three-woman, two-woman company, then perhaps the company itself needs to be well-known. But it never hurts to really be well-known as a personality. The people as brokers, they know the person. The company's there, but it's really the person driving the company. I think Joe, I'm going to talk about him because it's his podcast, but he is the personality that's driving the best ever brand. But I know he's doing a really good job of now making the best ever brand live on its own. It's a tough transition, but he's doing a great job of that. And I think you can go both ways. I know the company, Tom Ford, founded by Tom Ford, he sold it, but they're keeping the name Tom Ford. So it's not a bad thing to be branded yourself. You can still leverage that to someone else. Yeah, great advice. And for many years, I wanted Joe to become the Grant Cardone type personality. And I kept pushing him to promote himself and he refused to do so. He wanted best ever to live on its own without him having to be the personality behind it. And in hindsight, great move, right? But I'm a big fan of his. So I wanted him putting himself out there a lot more. But at the end of the day, he accomplished his mission and obviously best ever lives on its own. What is your best marketing advice ever? Yes. <laughs> Get started. Do it. I guess the best thing is this is for people who have done a couple of deals. They're starting to get some traction in whatever thing. If they're in real estate, great. If they're in short-term rentals, if they're in multifamily, if they're in syndicators, if they're capital raisers, the best marketing advice I can have is stop leaning on agencies and bring marketing in-house sooner. That's the one thing I brought in in-house marketing for most of my companies this year. And I was like, why didn't I do this five years ago? It was worth the money. It's worth the investment. And if you can't afford it straight up, there's a website called marketerhire.com, which essentially you can Netflix level, Uber, Airbnb level people who work in those kind of companies, they can be in your company in a short amount of time as a freelancer. And if you like them, you can buy them out and bring them in-house. So that may be a good way to get started. Otherwise, do a typical search on Indeed or whatever and bring these people in-house. It's worth it. No agency will ever be able to speak your voice and be able to be available 24-7 and just get you and get your message out and brand you in the way that in-house can. How much of your social media do you control directly? I think I control the messaging, the look, the feel, but the delivery and the distribution is all team now. So it's your personality coming through. Yes. They're taking clips. I was asking one of my coaches and mentors, and I think he makes $200 million a year. He controlled eight or nine companies. And I asked him very specifically, Viking Capital is doing great, but I want to double or triple my amount of investor capital that's coming in every year. How do I do that? He goes, it's pretty easy. And this comes from Russell Brunson, the guy who created ClickFunnels. He has a lot of books called Expert Secrets, all these books. He has a concept called the Dream 100. So essentially take the 100 people who you admire the most, they're influencers, they're the authors, they're podcasters, they're YouTubers, and figure out what are they doing right, figure out their messaging, follow all of them, and unsubscribe from everyone else. And Dream 100 may be a lot, so let's call it Dream 10 maybe, your top 10 people that you're following. And start emulating them. I really believe in the 3i methodology, Ash. It's imitate, iterate, and then innovate. Copy as much as you can everyone else that you like, 
start putting in a little of your own personality and DNA. And eventually you start doing it so much to where it actually becomes a separate offering, a separate product, a separate version. It's really your, your own unique way of doing it. So this dream 10, let's say, is a good way of doing that. So he suggested he wanted to release a book. He goes, two years before I wanted to release a book, I go on 362 podcasts. I was like, wow. And I had a ground campaign for two years. And then when I released my book, it became instant New York Times bestseller. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. He goes, if you want to double or triple your amount of people, go on other people's podcasts that are like business owners, that are lawyers, architects, doctors, wherever avatar you're going after. And keep three to five pieces of valuable data on the podcast. Call to action of a free resource and bring them back into your circle. And then be vulnerable, like you're suggesting, Ash, on, on our in, in the green room. Share stories so they can understand and relate with you versus you coming on the ivory tower and BS and you're holier than thou. And that was his formula. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. So it's not easy, but it's doable. Yeah, that is brilliant. I did a lot of writing as you were talking. Vikram, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's rock it, brother. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? Best ever book I recently read is The Art of the Impossible by Stephen Kotler. What was your big takeaway from that? Impossible is basically just two millimeters beyond what your capabilities are. So aim for it, achieve flow state, and crush it. Vikram, what's the best ever way you like to give back? There's a company called Intelligent Change. They produce a book called the Productivity Planner, which I highly recommend for people. You can see it there. It's called the Productivity Planner. It's on Amazon. It's a good way to organize your week. So definitely I recommend it. But I like to look at the companies about us or their origin stories. And they have this concept called the 111 concept. They give 1% of the profit back to charity or to some causes they believe in. They give 1% of their time and they give 1% of whatever their product or service is to a greater good. So I love that, the one 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 concept. So I, I want to start adopting that to my companies. Vikram, how can the best ever listeners get a hold of you? The best way is for real estate, it's vikingmultifamily.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us and learn about our real estate company. And then if they want to get a hold of me personally, they can go to vikramraya.com. Vikram, I got to thank you for your time today. I know you've got a hard stop, but we could have gone on for hours. We barely touched the surface of a lot of things, but you've given us some great advice. I've done a ton of writing here on my pad. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Ash. Really appreciate it. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.